Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Steve Wershing. On today's episode, we talk with Dan Allison, who's the founder and president of the Feedback Marketing Group, a consulting firm helping organizations and professionals implement a system to duplicate their top clients. Dan's background is actually in clinical and behavioral psychology. Dan co-founded a large mental health organization that employed hundreds of people and generated $20 million a year by the time he was 27. After selling that company, he found himself in a strict non-compete clause that had him looking for other opportunities, and he found financial services. He found that practitioners in our business can utilize mental health techniques in their own practice. The Feedback Marketing Group is known primarily for doing focus groups with clients, and so over the past several years, he's interviewed thousands of clients for financial advisors, and through that work has gleaned critical and fascinating insights about why people do and don't refer. And that's the focus of our conversation today. We'll talk about goldmine clients versus landmine clients. We'll talk about value proposition versus propaganda. And listen through to the end where Dan describes how to have a conversation with clients about referrals without asking for referrals so we can avoid all of those terrible techniques that we try to get you to avoid. It's a great conversation. There there are nuggets and tips almost every minute in this conversation. And I know that you'll take a lot out of this that you can use right in your practice to help attract more folks. So without any further delay, let's get to Dan Allison. So Dan, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I appreciate you uh, inviting me. Thank you. And we're very excited. To, I'm, at least I'm very excited to have this conversation. I've, I've heard you speak in a number of places, and I think it's great material and, and presented in a terrific way. But, but you have an interesting way of having gotten here. So you have a background that started actually in clinical psychology. Tell us how, you know, what, what, uh, your experience there and how you ended up coming over to financial services. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely couldn't write a how-to book to get from there to here because it was, <laughs> it was a little bit on accident. My background is... Uh, all in clinical and behavioral psychology, and I was I was really fortunate during graduate school. A uh, partner and I started a, a mental health firm to help uh, kids who had serious mental health issues and had to be removed from the homes of their their families. So essentially, these kids their behavior became very dangerous, and they couldn't live at home anymore. And they so they had to live in these facilities twenty four hours a day, some cases for the rest of their uh, their life. Uh, my partner and I started a company to help families who had that need. And, and uh, what we did is we were able to build that firm from our first two employees to about 450 employees over the course of four years. And we uh, had about 70 locations when we ended up selling the company. Now, when we sold it, uh, my partner retired at the time, but uh, I had agreed to a five-year non-compete clause in the mental health field. So uh, I didn't. I don't think fully at the time when I sold the company, I understood the magnitude and the seriousness of a real non-compete clause. But sure. for five years, yeah, I could in no way, shape, or form be in the mental health field. And uh, I ended up kind of looking around at what kind of company I might want to be involved in, or or purchase, or acquire. And I ended up buying a couple of companies in the finance industry, and one specifically uh, was in the investment and insurance industry. And the customers of that company were financial advisors. So I got a I really got to uh, work with financial advisors for the very first time and see what it was like to to manage wealth and and provide financial planning and just really became uh, really interested and intrigued with that profession. 
So, um, so, so yeah, so that's interesting. So how did you get from that ex- uh, that initial experience over into working on how to become more referable and um, figuring out how to help the, how to have, how to support them that way? Yeah, you know, it was, it was interesting because. Um, like anybody who, who, with a psychology background, the, the number one thing you want to do is ask everybody a million questions to understand <laughs> them and what their life was like. So I, I really started focusing on these advisors and what what was it like to be one? What was it like to try to grow a company? What is the biggest challenge they had? And when it came to this idea of growing a company, I really didn't feel like I met a lot of advisors that felt they had a solid process for how they grow the company. They all said they wanted referrals as their primary way of growing, but very few could tell me, okay, so how do you, how do you actually do that? Um, and, and I remember specifically when I would interview an advisor, I would ask, how many clients do you currently have? And they would, you know, they would say 200 or 300. And I would ask, how many referrals did you get last year? And they would say, gosh, you know, maybe 10 uh, 15, and I would ask a very serious question. You know, why did with 300 clients, why did 285 of them trust you with something this important and tell nobody about you? Why is why did 285 people not refer you to anybody? And I I couldn't get an answer from any of the advisors of, of why they thought that was. They felt they had good relationships. So what I what I ended up doing is saying, you know what, my background in psychology, I used to conduct a lot of focus groups to try to learn behavior. You know, why do you buy the things you buy? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? And I thought, why not uh, go and ask their clients directly? So I began uh, about 12 years ago now conducting focus groups with advisors, top clients as the participants. And the whole point of the focus group, uh, they were to learn, you know, hey, why do you pick the advisors you pick? Um, where do they exceed your expectations? Where do they fall short? And ultimately, what does it take to create such a good uh, experience that you want to tell other people about your advisor? So back then, I was really trying to get in the client's head and understand from their perspective why they do and why they don't refer. In fact, every we've done countless focus groups over the last 12 years now and, and interviewed thousands of clients. And I would ask every single uh, interview or focus group participant, why don't you refer your advisor to more people? A very direct question. And it was fascinating uh, to hear from their perspective about the topic of referrals. I, I had read every sales book about referrals, but because I'd never been an advisor, I read those books from a client perspective because I am one. And I tried to picture, you know, all the one-liners type approaches that I had read. You know, I get paid in two ways and the greatest compliment you could give me is a referral. I, I tried to picture myself being on the receiving right. end <laughs> right, of those exactly. approaches. Yeah, and they never felt yeah, right. Yeah. It always felt like if my advisor or my attorney did that, it wouldn't feel comfortable to me. So I wanted to learn the client perspective about this. So, so, what, so what did they say? Why, why did 285 of those 300 people say they did not refer? You know, it, I hear the, the same pretty much seven things over and over and over again. And, you know, early on, I think we only interviewed a couple hundred people over the first year. And now, like I said, we've interviewed through North America and Australia and Europe. We've interviewed clients who have 100,000 of investable assets and 100 million of investable assets. And we hear that the same things over and over again. So I'll tell you just kind of in order what clients normally tell me that the number one response when I ask directly, hey, why don't you refer your advisor to more people? Number one response is that the advisor has never asked. 
uh, or doesn't ask. So the clients kind of look at me and say, well, I don't, my advisors never even brought that up to me. They don't talk to me about it. What I find fascinating though, is, is that I go back to the advisor and say, hey, the majority of your clients when interviewed said the number one reason they don't refer is you don't even bring it up. You don't even talk to them. And it's, it's funny to me that most advisors tell me that's not true. I do bring it up. I talk about it. And when I, when I say, what is, how do you bring it up? They normally are so passive about the topic. The client doesn't even acknowledge that they're having an exchange about referrals or introductions or helping other people. So I find the number one reason people say they, they aren't referring is that the advisor doesn't ask. Now, I like you, I am not a big fan of an advisor just directly saying, hey, will you refer me to somebody? But I, but I also believe if an advisor doesn't have a comfortable method of at least broaching the topic of helping additional people, the clients aren't going to be active referral sources. So number one, I hear that the clients tell me, look, my advisor doesn't ask. Um, number two, I hear clients all the time. Uh, one of the questions I ask well, hang, clients hang on. Can we, can we, is if you can and we, I... Yeah, oh, can we ahead. just talk about that for a minute before we let that one go? Yeah. So, um, it, so... I'm interested. I mean, I obviously I have my own perspective on it, and Julie has her perspective from from doing the research. But but what's your and you as a psychologist, especially, what's your perspective on why clients refer in the first place? Well, here the the funny thing, I look at some of the most popular. Uh, I guess I call them one-liners because they kind of are um, that that sales trainers say. Here's what you should say. In a review meeting, and like I said, I get paid yeah, in two yeah, but ways. Not, but not, and, not and how the, an advisor should ask for them. But what what's the motivation for somebody to, to provide one? Yeah, and oh, I'm, okay. I'm getting there. That my point is the the industry would have us believe that the motivation for a consumer to refer is to help us, right. help me grow my business. The greatest compliment you could give me, compliment me. When the reality is, when I interview clients and I ask, "Hey, have you ever referred your advisor to anybody?" The ones that say yes. I say, let's talk about that. Who was the last person that you referred to your advisor? And the, hey, it was my brother. And I ask why that's a risky thing to do, because if that if something went badly, it could hurt your relationship with your brother. Why did you take that risk? And, and you know, in 12 years, I've yet to hear a client say, because my advisor gets paid in two ways <laughs> or, the, you know, the greatest compliment I could give them. So I wanted to comp. I never hear a client tell me their motivation to refer had to do with helping the advisor. It is unequivocally because somebody they care about needed help and they, and they trust their advisor to be the one to provide that help. And the number one message I tell advisors is if you can change your perspective about this topic and realize the client perspective of referrals is very simple. Their motivation is people they care about need help. And, and if they're the kind of person psychologically that, that is influential and willing to do so, they'll make that connection happen. So we, we got to drop these scripts that are uh, selfish and about us and help me and get paid in two ways and start realizing there's a client's motivation is nothing more than so, help so how people. Does, so Dan, no, um, sorry. Jump in. <laughs> I'm never normally this quiet, Dan. I, I see. Um, Let me have it, Julie. <laughs> no, I, so I mean, certainly the research that we do every year supports exactly what you're saying in terms of the motivation to refer. So I'd, I'd love your perspective, just going back to where, you know, sort of where we started this conversation about the, the reason that clients say they don't refer, it's kind of interesting that the first thing that comes to mind for them is they never asked, when that's not really a reflection of why they refer in the first place. 
Completely. Yeah, but I, I find that if it's not top of mind from a client perspective, it, as simple, Julie, as I ask a, a client, is your advisor actively even trying to help more people? Like, are, do they have capacity? Uh, so many of the clients I interview are in the dark about even that. So if they're not, if the conversation isn't occurring, they're, they're not top of mind when they're interacting with somebody that says, yeah, I'm going through this situation. The client is much less likely to say, hey, I have somebody that I need to, to introduce you to to help you with that. So I, I think the two are kind of connected. And I don't think clients are telling me, hey, I want, a, I want my advisor every time I see him to ask me for five names and phone numbers. I think their their response is more indifference. You know, I guess my advisor doesn't even talk about that. I don't even know if they're bringing on new clients. They seem really busy. It's, um, but yeah, the motivation has always been when I talk to these people to help others, not to help their advisor. So more keeping it top of mind in terms of how they can help other people that they know rather than the, you know, can you write down the 10 names of your richest friends. Um, yeah, because the reality is, if you asked me that today, I wouldn't give you a list. And if you ask pretty, me, who do I know? Sure. To, so, yeah. So how does that conversation, what does that conversation sound like? How, how do you talk about referrals without asking about referrals or asking for referrals? Well, for, first of all, I, I, I believe that when it comes to referrals, there are two different kinds of clients. And I, I utilize the term, uh, you have a gold, you have gold mine clients and you have landmine clients. Gold mine clients are good, strong relationships, but they also have this uh, this kind of psychological makeup that they are influential over other people. They are comfortable declaring to the world, hey, I work with, with Julie and you should too. Um, they're more likely to refer movies and restaurants also. That's just a behavior they exhibit, but there are also gold or landmines. There are, there are clients that feel the relationship with their advisor is private and and risky if they refer. Those people are very unlikely to refer. The problem for most advisors, they haven't identified who's even comfortable having this conversation. So they're very passive around everybody. So so specifically what I recommend advisors do is learn from the from the perspective of the client who is even comfortable having conversations when they come across somebody who might need help. So what I might say, I'll give you the language that I use with my clients. I tell my clients that, look, you know, our company has grown over the years and we primarily do that by helping our clients and the people that they care about, people that are important to them. But that brings up a topic that for a lot of people can be uncomfortable, referring. You know, on one hand, Julie, every time I saw you, I could say, hey, do you know anybody that needs help? And I could bother you about it. I won't do that. But I have also learned that if I'm incredibly passive about it, and I never even talk to my clients about it, my clients can genuinely bump into people that need help and not even be clear if we're here to help. Do we have the time? Are they the right fit for us? Will we you know, provide some second opinions to them? And that option is bad too, because then people, our clients care about don't get help. So I would simply ask you, how can I bring up that topic with you, if at all? Because if it is uncomfortable for you, we will never, ever discuss this topic. But how do we talk about it in a way that's comfortable for you? So I let the client tell me, look, you know, I, I feel like our relationship's kind of a private one. I don't talk about, and, I, and that's perfectly fine. I tell them that's excellent. You're an important client. I don't want to bring up something uncomfortable, but I also don't want clients, like I said, bumping into people that need help and not even be clear because we're scared to have a conversation with you to let them know we're here to help. So that's identifying a landmine. Whereas the gold mines 
are going to tell you, oh, hey, I'm comfortable talking about it. You know, help me understand what kind of people would you like to help? And it opens up a, a conversation about helping other people versus this one-liner that I'm going to throw out there that may or may not work, that may blow up in my face, may reject me. So I believe advisors should really understand which clients are comfortable being uh, good advocates and getting people help and which ones just aren't likely to talk about it. And you, you raise a, you know, you raise a good point that again, we see in the data all the time, which is one of the number one reasons. And I do want to get back to those other six reasons, by the way. But the one of the reasons we hear people don't refer all the time is that they just don't know who to refer. So, I mean, if, if that was the case, and you're in, so now you've identified your gold mine, they're open to hearing. Um, to what extent then do you feel it's important to to really get um, clear on who you help and how you help so that they actually recognize that there's an opportunity when they do stumble across someone? Uh, Julie, it's interesting you say that in the same sentence as I want to get to the sixth point because the, the second point is that most of the clients we interview have absolutely no clue who their advisor wants to help. Right. Um, and and what, I, what I ask the clients is I kind of do a little role play situation. Um, and I ask, do you even value what your advisor does enough that you'd be inclined to refer? And m- the majority say, yeah, sure, absolutely. So I, I role play asking them for referrals. So I'll tell the client, hey, I'm going to be your advisor. You be you. Let's hear what this would sound like. Will you refer me to somebody? And most of the clients say, well, right now, I really don't know anybody who needs help. So the question I ask is, let's take a step backwards. Who would that be in the first place? If you and I uh, were to walk into a room full of people, get to know everybody in that room, everything about them, their family situation, what they do for a living, um, you know, their age, um, what's going on in their life, we could pull anybody out of that room and we could hand them to your advisor as an ideal client, somebody who'd really benefit from your advisor's help, somebody your advisor'd love to meet. Who are we looking for in a room full of people? And the, the clients stare at me and say, you know, when you put it that way, I guess I don't, I don't really know. And I, I tell them, so it's not really fair to say you don't know anybody who needs help. You don't have clarity around who would that even be in the first place. You could interact every day with somebody who needs help and you don't even think about it. And they say, yeah, that's true. So I try to tell advisors, it is so critical to know who you serve and to be able to describe those people in a way that makes me think of people that fit that that criterion. And the, the sad thing is, which I know you guys know, a lot of advisors can't articulate who they serve. So how how would we expect our clients to be able to find those people? And how specific well should an advisor get? Because I know that one of the challenges is that most advisors describe their target client so fuzzy and so amorphously that that nobody i think i think what you just said is brilliant that that you know whatever you say should bring somebody specific to mind so so how does an advisor get there how 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 do they get specific enough it's a it's a tough thing to answer because everybody's at such different phases of their career yesterday i gave a speech in san diego and the guy that i had lunch with uh his target market, he only works with people who have a minimum investable asset of $5 million, And he does not compromise his firm. They only work with people who are in the oil and gas industry. They're in Montana. Uh, you know, he, and they are so dialed in with this is who we work with. Another guy, it was physicians. It was incredibly narrow. The reality is those guys can afford to be very narrow because they have grown a large firm. They can afford to say no. You got other advisors who are saying, look, I'll talk to anybody. Um, and, and cast a very wide net. But I think, you know, having a some kind of guidance for, for your clients about the 
the things that they know about their best friends. You know, we primarily work with people in this industry, in this age group that have these family situations, that these have, they have these life events going on. So at least I think like, I, I know somebody who's going through that right now, or hey, I know somebody who owns a company that's a business owner. Some kind of labels that can at least let me think I know people that fit that criterion. And again, I tell advisors to picture walking into a room to try to locate people that fit a certain description. How do you describe people? So what would then be number three? Uh, number three is normally in, throughout the conversation uh, that the clients to save their life cannot explain what their advisor does for a living. So, so I asked, I asked two different questions. Number one, uh, overall, why is your advisor different from everybody else within 10 miles of here that says they do what your advisor does? And clients really struggle to, to even explain the basics. Meanwhile, when you go to the advisor's website, they've got, you know, we're an independent fee only uh, fiduciary firm and the clients don't use any of the same words. So I always tell advisors, you know, if your value proposition doesn't come out of the mouths of your clients, is it really your value proposition or is it just propaganda on your website? And I find that not only can they not explain what makes their advisor different, specifically, the average client cannot list more than 20 or 30% of the services their advisor provides to people. So if they bought life insurance from that guy for the rest of their life, in their mind, they're, they're, they're an insurance guy, life insurance. They may provide disability, long-term care, 401k, investment management, but because I don't use him for that, I don't perceive the firm as providing that. So I always say that most clients are, are it's not about cross-selling, it's about good cross-education. Most of our clients are not aware of all the things that we do. So the third problem I find is that most clients don't understand what makes us different and specifically all the things we do. And that makes it difficult for them to refer people. Um, and just, I mean, as, as part of that, and maybe this is inherent in what you're saying, um, there's what makes you different, but it's, but it's also just what you do, what the value is that you deliver, right? I mean, it technically, um, you, I don't know, does every client have to be able to explain why you're different from every other advisor? Maybe, maybe not. But at a minimum, I would imagine they need to be able to explain clearly the value that you deliver, why you're good. Yeah, completely. They've got to be able to articulate something, right? To make it, right. here's why this person's different and, and why you might want to think about talking to them. But for instance, a, a good example, if, if, I'm working with my financial guy and he manages my money, right? In my mind, what does he do for a living? He's a money manager, if that's all I use him for. Now I'm having an interaction with my brother who says, hey, we're restructuring our buy-sell agreement. We got to get 10 million bucks of life insurance. Do you know anybody that you trust in that industry? Well, my only answer now is no. Even though my advisor very well could provide that service, but if my stereotype of him is he's a money manager because I don't use him for insurance, I don't visit his website and click on the Our Services tab to study up on all the stuff he does, he has just missed a referral opportunity because that doesn't fall into my paradigm of what he does. So I always tell advisors, it's, you know, we educate a client about who we are and what we do when they're a prospect. But then they say yes to us and become a client, and we never re-educate them again. We don't talk about all those great things again. We don't remind them 
of everything. How do, how do you remind them of the things that, that you do that they may not be using? You know, there, there's a lot of different ways, but one simple thing I recommend every advisor have is a simple one-page uh, document that's obviously professional that lists out, here are all the different services that we provide to people. Okay, so you've got kind of your your accumulation services, investment management, 401k. We've got your protection services, life life insurance, disability, long-term care, distribution services. So when you start taking money, you know, annuities, th- have one sheet that kind of lists everything. And what I recommend they do every time they, they end a review is to pull that out and say, hey, as a reminder, I wanted to send you away with this uh, uh, for two reasons. Number one, I've highlighted all the things that you use us for, because what that shows the advisor and the client, most clients only use about 10% of the advisor's capabilities. They're, they're, not, they're not even utilizing 90% of what the advisor does. They probably don't need that help today, but they should still know those things are there. So I, I give them the one page and I say, look, I want you to be reminded of these things for two reasons. Number one, I never want you to have a need, a a problem, a concern that doesn't get addressed because you don't know we'll even provide guidance in these areas, right? As a client, that's just bad service. But number two, I don't want somebody you care about to have a need in one of these other areas that are not highlighted and have them not get help because you don't know this stuff is here for them. And I I ask, you know, advisors, how often do you talk to a 35-year-old about the importance of long-term care planning? Yet they've got parents that they could prob- probably refer in. How often do we talk to 65-year-olds about the importance of college planning? Yet they have kids that probably should think about it for their kids. We don't cross-educate, so clients don't cross-refer services very often. So I, I just think it's critical to have something that is clean, easy to understand, and keep it in front of those clients because something they don't care about today Nine months from uh, from now may be very important to them. I just I lost my father in law thirty days ago, and long term care was not a big conversation for me six months ago. It is today. It's a huge concern with his wife, and and she's aging, and it's it's become a big thing in my life. Now, if I don't look at my advisor as as somebody to guide me on that, he doesn't get the phone call, and I probably meet some other guy that helps me with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, that makes a lot of sense um, for sure, and I'd I'd love your perspective, Dan, on this sort of it's it's a it's a variation of what you're saying, I think, and it's the idea that I think when when you're talking to your family, you're talking to your friends, you often you don't talk about products and services, right? You talk about uh, the situations and and how those two things connect. So if I'm you know, let's pick up on your your unfortunate example recently. Um, you know, unless unless you become an advocate for that and you're out there telling people you need long-term care, it would probably require two friends to be talking about, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm afraid I just won't be there for my kids or I had a kid late in life and, and I worry because I'm going to age. You know, those are referral opportunities, but nobody ever said the word long-term care. That, that, that's a very good point, Julie. I'm, they do have to be somewhat educated about what life events trigger the need right, right. for those things. Because a lot of people probably think college planning happens when your kids are 16. You know, you got to start thinking about college. Um, so uh, any education you can provide. But but I find at least just having a list of all the things that you're able to help with right. uh, increases the likelihood that during that conversation, they say, you know what, you, you ought to talk to my advisor. I know he does all kinds of different stuff in this area versus yeah. – 
if I stereotype him as a money manager, it's not even going to cross my mind. Yeah. Because this is in money management so conversation. We have four or five. Where were we on the list? Was that number, <laughs> number Yeah, five. number four. We'll get there. We will get number, there. <laughs> yeah, number four is uh, the majority of clients think they actually are referring today. They say, oh, I do refer my advisor. And I always ask the audience, hey, raise your hand in the last 12 months if you've heard a client say, hey, I gave your name out to somebody the other day they're going to call. And the, everybody in the audience raises their hand. Um, and so most most clients don't understand how to effectively refer. And most advisors don't don't say the right things when a client even tells them, hey, I gave your name to somebody. Most of them say, hey, I appreciate it. Thanks. Knowing full well that client is never going to call or that prospect. So uh, the fourth most, in fact, yesterday I was given a speech at Dimensional Funds uh, and they wrapped up their benchmarking study, which Julie, I, I'm guessing you're familiar with their work there. Mm-hmm. And their, their results showed that 98% of the 19,000 clients that responded 98% said they would refer their advisor. Um, 23% said they had once in the last 12 months, 13% twice in the last 12 months. So if you added all the numbers up that the client said they referred, a guy with 100 clients got 98 referrals last year. Made no sense when you added up the data. And, and it showed that 81% of the people, their method for referring was giving their advisor's name and phone number out. So most of those clients, even when they have somebody that they think needs help, their approach to getting that person help is ineffective. Yeah. And so, so, yeah, again, this is one area that your listeners, hopefully this is a really good takeaway for them because I've, I've had a lot of people really adopt this, this conversation and get more effective at it. Uh, And again, it happens to me. I'm sure it happens to you too all the time as speakers. You know, somebody hears you speak. They say, hey, our broker-dealer has a conference. I'm going to give your name and number to the committee and tell them to call you. And (laughs) you go, oh, all right. Well, (laughs) I won't plan on getting that phone call most of the time. So so what I say is, first of all, we got to remember, why did that person give our name out? Because somebody needs help. It wasn't to help us. It was to help somebody else. So what I recommend advisors do is say, hey, I, I appreciate you doing that. Can we talk about it for a minute? And the client says, sure. And I'll say, I'm assuming that you did that because somebody you know or somebody you probably care about might need help. Is that accurate? And 100 out of 100 people say yes, and they elaborate. Yeah, we were at dinner the other night, and they said this and that. And I simply tell them, look, so here's the problem with that. They don't know or trust us like you do. Uh, As a result, very rarely do somebody reach out. And as a result, rarely do those people get help. So if your real intent was to potentially help them out, can we simply have a conversation about a method of introduction that is going to be comfortable for you, comfortable for them, but will increase that likelihood that that person gets help? It might be coffee or lunch. You might be there. You might not be there. It could be an email. So what what I do is take that I gave your name out and tell them the truth that if you, I'm assuming you did that because somebody needs help and that is why they did that and they're unlikely to get help. And it what it does a lot of times is turn... I gave your name out into kind of a conversation and uh, an action plan for an introduction, which now the client is accountable to that action plan. And it really increases the likelihood that the advisor meets the the prospect and ultimately helps them. So just tell the truth seems to be a theme. Running through your comments. (laughs) I always say you can't script honesty. And I think the problem is, you know, um, too, too few advisors 
I, I think really take the time to think through how valuable what they actually do for people is. And that truly, if somebody I care about is my client and they're trying to refer me to a 42-year-old that's got three kids and no insurance in place, it's my job to meet that person and help them. Uh, it's not a, a sales script or a commission. Opportunity. It's a, it should be a real honest conversation. And unfortunately, I've seen enough tragedy personally in my life with, with young friends and, and parents alike that, that I have a really strong perspective on what people in this financial industry yeah, do well, for a living. I, what and I really like about that approach, well, you know, one, one of the things we'll be I honest. believe is that advisors don't talk more about this kind of thing because they have doubts about their own value, that they're nervous about, you know, about how, or they're nervous about how that conversation would come across. But what I really love about what you were just describing is that it's not one of those strong arm meth methods and it's not telling the client to do something. It's engaging in a conversation to say, you know, let's help each other here, you know, and I think that's a great way to approach it. Yeah, you, you bring up a great point that I continually remind people is like, look, you got to wake up in the morning and truly believe that you help people. If It sounds simple, but if you honestly believe that, none of these conversations are about you. No, no cancer surgeon wakes up and says like, ah, I'm going to go prospect. They believe they treat and help people and that consumers are genuinely better off after they've been treated. And and I continually try to get these guys to remember, you're, you're not that different from that. If you do your job well and you genuinely have a heart that is focused on serving people, well, a one, referral one thing conversation sort of should never be awkward because it's not about you. As it's you were about talking about people. that was that... <clears throat> um, you know, it may be that, that advisors assume that clients are uncomfortable making referrals because they're uncomfortable talking with the client about it. Yeah. I think that's, if there's one underlying problem, it is that, you know, and, and I'm sure you've seen them all, that the referral trainings, the majority of them were developed 30 years ago when the industry was very transactional. And if I made you feel uncomfortable by my script, I didn't have a lot to lose because I already made the sale. I made a commission and you're either giving me names or I'll move on to the next one. And the industry has changed now where the relationship is the focus, not the sale or transaction. Yet the majority of the training focuses on transactional methods of having a really important conversation, which is why I told you guys before this, I love reading the content you put out there because it focuses to me on the real reasons people refer and the real conversations that these these advisors have to have happen between them and a client. But first, they have to get comfortable with the idea that it's not a conversation about them, despite sure. what everybody trained so them the so, last 20 uh, years. What do we have? One left? About do we have referrals. one left one to talk about? Actually, the last three are super easy. The, the fifth one is people tell me they don't refer because it's a private issue. I don't talk about money. It's nobody's business who I use. Six. Uh, they say it's risky. It's some version of that. I don't refer. What's in it for me? If it goes badly, it's my fault. And then the least common thing I hear people say is that m my experience hasn't been good enough to refer. Some variation of that. Most people are, are totally happy with their experience, enough that they would refer it. There, now, there's definitely people who aren't happy, but I find for the most part, it's it's less. Uh, I, it's more. I would refer. I don't really know who to refer. They, my advisor doesn't talk about it. I don't know what to say. I, well, I don't know how to do it. It's, yeah, it's these simple well, things you know, that are pretty Dan, easy I, to I, fix. I would. I would like to continue talking about this all day long. This is. There's so much good information that you're giving us, but we we do have to wrap up and uh, and I regret that. However, if people wanted to pursue this, um, how can they find you? Yeah, they can uh, just go to our website. Is feedbackmarketinggroup.com. 
Uh, they can email me directly, uh, dan at feedbackmarketinggroup.com. Maybe we can have you back at some point because there's all kinds of things I've got on my sheet here that I wanted to ask that we never got to because what you were talking about was so great. So thank you for joining us on the podcast and, um, and thanks for sharing all that wisdom with us. I appreciate the time very much. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.